0: Hey ho, tutor minded people. I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. We're Tudor Time Machine, and this is
1: Episode 20 of our podcast.
0: Thank you for joining us. If you're new here, it's best to start at Episode 1. This is a story project, and it goes in order. We're thrilled to be reaching thousands of tutor minded people from all over the world. It's just amazing. It's an awesome community. Listeners who love a story and who also love history. You are our kind of people. We've had such a great time researching this project and imagining it and
1: sharing it with you. It's, it's a real pleasure. And we hope you'll join our Facebook community, too, which is growing and growing every day. So go to Tudor Time Machine on Facebook and follow us there.
0: If you're enjoying it, support us digitally. Buy me a coffee.
1: Yes, buy me a coffee. Type in buy me a coffee as one word and then Tudor Time Machine into your search engine and you can find our page. Or the shop button on our Tudor Time Machine Facebook page will also take you there. We've had such a great time
0: researching it and working on it and especially bringing it to you. At this point in our story, Constance and Philomena have discovered that Sir Thomas Wyatt's dear sister of the letter is Lady Margaret Wyatt. Now we're going to the house of Sir Henry Lee, where Constance will be interviewed by her alarming future (laughs) sister-in-law, Lady Lee. After the reading, we'll have some fun discussing the history beyond our tale and making connections between then and now. Read on, Jessie. Chapter 20, Savoy
1: House, the home of Sir Henry and Lady Lee, in which an object of importance is discovered and a winning is remembered. "'And this window, so rare, so clear, Mistress Constance, "'can you not see perfectly how the sun shines on the river? "'Where have you ever seen such a fine glass? "'You, as a lady, you, indeed, have seen it at Whitehall, of course, "'because it is a gift from Her Majesty, "'bestowed on me for my gallant service at Berwick.' "'Sir Henry Lee pressed himself against the window, "'stroking it with satisfaction.' look mistress at the perfect situation of my home here is the river i have my own water stairs to be sure and the queen's palace is but a stone's throw regard my garden you can see it from this window my orchard is not quite as fine as that at whitehall but i flatter myself that my apple trees are not much less elegant sir henry turned away from the window to a table and took up a book the cover red leather, lettered in leaf, and a fat purple jewel in the middle. This Seneca, a copy non-parallel, is from France, given me on my ambassadorial visit for mon service formidable à La Roy. Sir Henry Lee's French had a spitty flourish that broke Constance out of her stupor. She examined the book obligingly, her lips forming the same compliment she had spoken about the plate from Italy, the turkey carpet, the drapes from Antwerp. This timepiece originated in Habsburg. It is indeed a marvel. Sir Henry picked up a golden clock with a pointed spire. The hours are displayed by three means. French who measure the days as we do italian beginning at sundown and nuremberg daylight and night hours note this he stuck the weapon-like timepiece in her face a hair's breadth from her nose and constance flinched in spite of herself "'Hands showing the day of the week and the month of the year. "'On the back, an astro-lobe showing the motions of the stars. "'And here, hands for the positions of the sun and the moon in the zodiac, "'and the phases and ages of the moon.'" Sir Henry Lee was in full exultation of his home, of his life at the height of royal favour as Elizabeth's champion. His wife, Charles Paget's elder sister, had insisted on Constance's visit so that she could prod her like a cow, assessing her fitness as a bride. Constance had taken this invitation as a good omen for her marriage with Charles Paget. Henry Lee might say a kind word for her with the Queen and smooth the path. Constance had written Aunt Stoner of the visit and assured her that she would strive to make the best of impressions— But now her patience was wearing, as Lady Lee failed to appear, and her host's voice droned on. Sir Henry was considered well put together by many of the court ladies, but he left Constance cold. "'This beautiful desk! Look at it, mistress! We have moved from the clock. As fine as it is, I have finished with the clock. Turn your attention here, if you please. Can you guess where this might have come from?' Constance summoned the energy to be ever polite. "'Dear me, such beauty. "'The angels made it, I believe.' "'Angels! (laughs) "'Ha, ha, ha! "'How pleasant! "'No, no, not angels. "'Spaniards, it is a vaguenu. "'The poet Wyatt brought it back. "'He was a well-travelled ambassador. "'My mother was his sister. "'He was an excellent correspondent. "'They were never long out of communication. "'How charming!' Constance was amazed. Henry Lee, Wyatt's nephew? Trying to keep her voice steady, she said, how your mother must have enjoyed reading aloud Wyatt's letters from his travels. Indeed, indeed, and they were exquisite correspondence. But many she kept for herself, and regretfully did not share the contents with my siblings and I. That was the nature of my mother and mon oncle. "'Wyatt's desk! Constance wanted to go to it, to touch it. "'But Sir Henry drew her through the rooms, "'dropping names and telling tales "'of those who could lay their success at his feet. "'Pretending close examination of a painting of Christ "'carrying the cross, a gift from the Marquess de Feria, "'Constance meditated on the possibilities. "'Could there be letters hidden in one of those drawers? "'False bottoms, false backs, secret nooks? "'Were those not commonplace in an ambassador's desk?' letters between dear sister and her brother that might lead to the relic sir henry coerced her to admire a carved oak bench a gift from the young king edward tudor just before his last bloody cough whose comfort she was obliged to test with a quick recline constance wondered how she could possibly manage a moment alone to search the desk sir charles paget was announced and constance witnessed sir henry's unpleasant smirk as he sent her off to his wife's chambers Charles stood aside judiciously, as Lady Lee, a female version of her brother, standing a head taller than most ladies, looking the matriarch with a biggin-clad baby in her lap, pried into Constance's irreproachable past. Charles's mouth turned up in a smile at Constance's mild replies to interrogation. Lady Lee's judgment of her was unclear, yet Charles seemed content as he escorted her back to Bedford House. "'Your aspect is of gravitas. You are deep,' he admired. Constance glowed. "'It was kind of you to come, sir.' "'My sister can be a terror, yet I see in you a unity that allows poise under any conditions.' Charles was always ready to see a good quality in her, Constance thought. He was not as lively as some courtiers, but then he was devout, and devotion might swallow up wit. He asked her if he could present her with a token. It was a brooch.' A small green stone flecked with bright red in a silver setting she was delighted by it she pinned it into her snood the bloodstone is a wondrous jewel formed long ago when the sacred blood of christ fell and dried onto the earth and became solid it looks most beautiful in your dark hair mistress the blood of christ to adorn her hair it was not a frothy jewel constance thought how this charles loved meaning she experienced a connection to Charles. She imagined how astounded he would be if she were to find Sir Thomas More's relic. Charles was a person of such feeling. They arrived at Bedford House, and as Charles took his leave of her, she felt a twinge. She watched him disappear. Then, sure, Princess Cecilia was busy away from home, outraging someone. Constance's thoughts bent on the relic. She set out abruptly from the house in the direction of Cheapside. Wynne moaned and cried behind her, saying that her feet throbbed. Philomena was engrossed in every detail Constance related. "'It is a sideways tie that you shall marry the brother of Wyatt's sister's son's wife.' She burst out laughing. "'I will soon be Wyatt's daughter,' Philomena asked. "'The desk has caught your fancy.' "'You can imagine, Philomena. Sir Henry runs on about things and then says I have the poet's desk. I wanted to leap over and search it through and through.' Do you not think it may harbour secrets? Without question. Are there desks of men of power that do not? It will be difficult to return to the house. Is not the time-honoured way to bribe the servants? Yet, if I were discovered, how would I explain being there? True. What of your sister-in-law to be? Perhaps we could bring a token for the baby. The proud mother will take you off to the nursery. I will feign a malady and stay behind to search. I would not have you take the risk. I shall do it lady lee will not abandon you constance she will fuss over you yet she will leave me and i will search the desk i must do it constance insisted it is my quest and i would not have you cause trouble for yourself dear philomena you have done much already i do not wish you danger in the house of sir henry lee i do not fear him shall we duel over it i claim this quest for myself as well philomena leapt to her feet and held forth an imaginary sword or must I die on my own sword? Philomena took the weapon made of air and jabbed her heart, gurgling. Halt! Halt the carnage! cried Constance, laughing. You are too accustomed to your own way, Philomena. As only a rich merchant's daughter can be. You must frown and look at me seriously, Philomena. This ring, even the relic of Sir Thomas More, it cannot be worth the risk. Henry Lee would throw you in jail. Your business would be lost, and I would stand as guilty party. I cannot have it. You would let an ass like Henry Lee stand in your way, or would you go without me? In truth, Constance confessed, I cannot cease this hunt. It is beyond reason. If you may hide behind unreasonableness, so shall I. I will go with you, even if you would not have me. I would regret it ever if I did not lend some hand in finding this goodly jewel. Do not deny me, Philomena begged. You wrong me. I would ever have you in the chase, Constance admitted. "'It is the greatest enthrallment, and you are such a mule. "'I will never rid myself of you, even if I desired.' "'Very well, then, it is settled, and may the heavens bless our enterprise. "'Now,' Philomena said, "'what pains should strike me to divert Lady Lee? "'It must not be an illness. "'Lady Lee would blame me forever for bringing you into the house, "'and would have a host of groomsmen throw you out.' "'A fit of melancholia would do,' Philomena said. "'I have recent concerns of a serious nature.' Constance was a bit surprised that her friend could be so saucy about her mother's illness. But Philomena's ways were her own. You have a reverentia, Constance laughed. As does my mother, and I thank her for it. But this desk, Philomena, it has many drawers. It will take some time to go through them all. What type of desk is it? He called it a vergino or, or something of that description. Spanish, rather like a, a chest on high legs. A vergueno. I have one though surely of lesser craftsmanship than the great Sir Henry's. Philomena's desk was a good replica. Constance began opening everything quickly, as if in rehearsal, but Philomena pulled out one of the large bottom drawers, saying, Look, it lacks depth. It has a hiding place. Constance took it in her hands and felt all sizes as she ran her fingers along the inside of the drawer and pulled out the false bottom. I am very pleased with myself, she said, as you should be. "'I expect these secret places are where our treasures may be found.' "'I have heard of such things,' said Constance. "'It was my thought the second I saw it.' "'What shall we bring the baby?' asked Philomena. "'I am owned a piece of blackwork lace, "'one in a card game from Bridget Skipworth. "'A trip to court will procure it.' "'Are not each off to forward our secrets?' "'Our Catholic wine cellar will come to meet me,' Philomena said. "'I think your task the finer. "'Bridget Skipworth... "'shall not bless but only curse me.'" Philomena had the tower escort Constance through Cheapside to the water stairs at Lane. Wind traipsed behind both, making little sounds as if she had been pricked by a pin, oomp-ee, oomp-ee, every few steps. It was reassuring to have a shadow as big as a mountain at her side, Constance thought. The tower's long stride a strange comfort, not to mention the bargeman treated her unusually civilly. She would have tipped the tower, but she knew he would think it unkind. As she held his hand to climb into the boat, Constance wondered if it was Philomena's mother who inspired such loyalty, or was it simply the young man born to swear himself to a master? As the barge moved into the river, she turned back to see the tower surrounded by a group of rowdy, strapling youths. They seemed to know him. Laughing, they pulled at him and gestured at a tavern. She was not a bit surprised when, a moment later, he pulled himself away and continued back up
0: the street to the inn. Constance has made an exciting discovery about Sir Thomas Wyatt's desk and she's hoping to find some secrets in those little drawers. So this type of desk of
1: Urgueno originated in Spain in the Renaissance and it remained very popular in the 16th and 17th centuries. We'll post a picture of one on our Tudor Time Machine Facebook page. But these fold-up wooden writing tables are really nifty and made with incredible craftsmanship. And, of course, they would have been wildly expensive
0: and owned only by the very richest of rich people. The desk folds up like a trunk, and it would have been relatively easy to travel with, especially if you have strong servants to haul your stuff around for you. And the desk could be set up on any hard surface, so they were popular with diplomats and traveling merchants. The front panel folds out to make a writing surface and can be closed up and locked. On the side, there's panels that have handles so you can carry it. And then inside, there's also elaborate little carved drawers and cubbyholes to secret things away. In. Yeah, that's why I think they liked them the most,
1: all those little secret places to put things. And I'd love to have one. They're super cool. Excellently crafted Spanish vergueno made of rich walnut with bone inlay and fine metalwork would have been exactly the kind of expensive item that someone like Sir Thomas Wyatt
0: would have brought back from his travels. To impress his friends. And also his nephew, Sir Henry Lee. Sir Henry was the son of Margaret Wyatt and her husband, Sir Anthony Lee of Corindon. He was born in 1533, the same year as Queen Elizabeth I. And we like to think about the two babies playing together (laughs) at least once in a while. And as we've said in other episodes, Anne Boleyn and Margaret Wyatt were extremely close. And we'll see more of that relationship as our story goes on. And of course... The babies would not have been at court with the women. They would have been at home and been taken care of by a wet nurse. The women continued to work at court. Yeah. And we, what we like to think is that maybe these babies came to visit their mothers and hung out every once yeah, in a while. It could be. So Sir Anthony
1: Lee and Sir Thomas Wyatt were also friendly. Sir Thomas said that Anthony Lee had done him
0: so many favors it made him, quote, weary to think on. He probably lent money. Probably <laughs> Sir Thomas borrowed money from Lee. And Cromwell also lent him money. Sir Thomas and Sir Anthony shared a close friendship with Thomas Cromwell, as did Margaret Wyatt. There's speculation that Anthony Lee might have been in Cromwell's household in the 1530s, and maybe that's where he met Margaret and they had their romance. Under Although- Sir Thomas Cromwell's nose? Maybe. But Margaret and Sir Anthony did name their second son Cromwell. I wonder if they regretted that after Cromwell was executed.
1: I mean, how could they have foreseen that would happen? It seemed like a good idea in 1530-something, but in 1540? Yikes. Cromwell's execution must have been just devastating for that whole family, for the Lee family, and as it was for Thomas Wyatt. In episode 18, we read Wyatt's heartbreaking poem on the death of his patron, and it begins, I cannot find another to replace that pillar from east to west You would not find someone to
0: ease my misfortune. Oh, it's so terrible. If they had regrets about naming their second child Cromwell, though, they made a safer bet with their first child. They named him after the king, Henry, (laughs) which was customary and a safe bet. So Sir Henry Lee grew up on his father's estate in Quarendon in Buckinghamshire. And Sir Henry was an MP in Parliament, a master of the armory, And a master of the leash. (laughs) Mr. Gray is (laughs) waiting for you. Yes, it sounds a little (laughs) little as an image, but I think it was really about the royal doggies. He became the queen's champion, which meant he arranged all the ascension day tilts and festivities. I have read that he was considered a favorite of Queen Elizabeth's. (laughs) Being called a male favorite of Elizabeth is a bit like being called her favorite lady-in-waiting. Historians throw these distinctions around, but who knows really who was the favorite? As you know, as you said in
1: another episode, the favorites would change and they'd be a favorite one day and maybe out of favor the next, but you know, we can't really say. And we can't really say who was the most beautiful, which is something else that we read a lot mm. when people say she was the most beautiful at court or the handsomest man. And we hear that, he was the handsomest man at court. But clearly Henry Lee was given important titles by Elizabeth, so he must have had some favor with her.
0: Maybe because she was aware of his mother's friendship with her mother. It could be. Elizabeth certainly promoted the descendants of those who were loyal to Anne Boleyn. In our story, Sir Henry is extremely proud of his closeness to Her Majesty. He is in his element giving Constance a tour of his home on the Strand, which was the most fashionable neighborhood in London at the time. Just outside the Palace of Whitehall, it was easy to get to court. Courtiers had their grand mansions, and these homes would have edged the water, and they had their own water stairs and private barges. And Constance encounters this smug fellow, Sir Henry Lee, because he's
1: married to Charles Paget's sister Anne. And this might seem a little unusual or questionable because we know Charles Paget was a big Catholic. And here we have his sister marrying this Protestant ally of Elizabeth's. But I think this probably happened in a lot of families.
0: The Pagets were an interesting family in terms of religion. Charles Paget was a devout Catholic in our story and in reality. Mm-hmm. Yet his sister married a good Protestant ally of the Queen. So the siblings clearly had different religious loyalties. And I don't think that was...
1: That unusual in these important families of the Tudor period. Because these families stayed in power for a long time, and most of them had to be pretty flexible. Not every family was like the stoners, where every member of the clan was united in being religious recusants.
0: Recusant Catholics, as we've said, could be fined and have their lands confiscated for refusing to attend Anglican services. There were such wild religious swings in this period. People might have felt it was safer just to keep religious convictions to themselves. I think so. I mean, Charles's father clearly was a
1: pragmatist. William Paget, 1st Baron Paget, was a courtier of Henry VIII's. He went along with the Reformation. He swore the oath of supremacy, making
0: Henry the head of the English church. He was not, Sir Thomas More, willing to be executed for his religious beliefs. No, Sir William Paget accepted the religious changes.
1: He joined Henry's Privy Council, and he was actually named one of the council to oversee Edward, the Protestant boy king's reign. So Henry must have been pretty sure of his loyalties.
0: There's some speculation that Anne Preston, who was Paget's wife, might have been a Catholic, and that she's the one who passed her convictions on to at least some of her children. William Paget's heir was Charles's brother Henry, second Baron Paget there's very little information
1: about Henry Paget's religious convictions and actually he only lived a few years
0: after becoming Baron so his brother Thomas became the heir His brother Thomas was the third Baron Paget he and Charles Paget both ended up in big trouble with the English religious authorities but there's more about that to come oh yes to come so what were Anne Paget's religious
1: convictions? We can only guess, but her marriage to Elizabeth's courtier, Sir Henry Lee, makes me think that even if she was a Catholic privately, she didn't share her brother's fervor and, and, you know, she, she went along with her husband's religion, probably.
0: I agree. Whatever her religion and however she considers her brother's Catholic fervor, the fictional Lady Lee in this chapter of Time's Riddle is playing big sister to Charles, checking out his girlfriend and, as all big sisters will, <laughs> passing,
1: passing judgment.
0: judgment. Yeah. And now Constance, who was so happy to get out of
1: that house and get out of Lady Lee's orbit and out of this, you know, interrogation, now she has to try to get back into the Lee household because she wants to investigate this desk. And she and Philomena have devised a plan. And Constance, who, you know, doesn't have a lot of cash lying around, needs a gift for Lady Lee.
0: And she thinks of this piece of black lace she won in a card game. To give someone a piece of embroidery, it doesn't sound that impressive to us now, but in the 16th century, it would have been. It would have been a lovely gift. A lovely gift. Blackwork was very popular. It was a form of embroidery usually made from black silk thread on linen, sometimes shot through with gold or silver, and it was time-consuming to do and a sign of luxury. In Holbein's iconic portrait of Jane Seymour, there's a lovely example of black work on the ruffled edge of Jane's sleeves. So gifting things like embroidery and pieces of rich fabric, this
1: was commonplace. If you look at the gifts given to Queen Elizabeth I on New Year's Day in 1565, and they have records of these things, it's amazing, and they are available on the internet, there's a number of entries of cloth. For example, Lady Cobham gave the Queen a piece of crimson taffeta, and the Queen didn't say, why would you give me (laughs) a piece of crimson taffeta? I wanted something else. She
0: thought it was a wonderful gift. I think one reason is because there's no ready-made clothes. Exactly. So they would make up this beautiful taffeta into whatever suited the queen. Exactly, yeah. And sumptuous material or intensive silk embroidery, these were luxury items in the 16th century and only the very rich could indulge in them clothes would be made over many times expensive embroidered lace would never be discarded it would be removed from one garment and then used on another garment it was a different time luxury items were passed down and repurposed and there was no idea that something
1: had to be new to be of value Uh, the second best bed that Shakespeare left his wife that whole controversy (laughs) that comes to mind
0: It's really hard for us, especially in the West, in our modern consumer society, where there are just goods exploding everywhere. Out of every corner, and cheaply made, and, and, cheap. and cheap to buy. Yes, and to imagine the 16th century, how they valued things. And e- even what we now consider very mundane items. But when you examine the wills of this period,
1: it's eye-opening to see what is bequeathed to somebody in the family. I mean, for example, in his will from 1561, Thomas Barkby leaves his daughter Anne one silver spoon. And that is not an insult.
0: Anne would have valued that spoon. In his will of 1557, William Beeson leaves his mother Agnes an iln of the best Holland cloth in my house. An iln would have been about 45 inches. And holland cloth was an imported and expensive fabric. So these are wills from the relatively well
1: to do, also. I mean, they're not gentry, but they're certainly not peasants who would never have been able to own something like a silver spoon or a, a large piece
0: of imported fabric. Lady Lee is going to be thrilled to receive Constance's black work. And Constance is very happy to have won it off Bridget Skipworth. So this is another thing we have to get into the mindset
1: of the time because we think of gambling as irreligious, sort of like a vice that a maid of honor in the Queen Elizabeth's household would never have engaged in. But the Tudor upper classes loved to gamble and it was socially completely
0: acceptable for women and men. I think we have an idea that the households were so uptight, but they were not. They were exercising, they were dancing, they loved music, And they also loved to gamble. The most popular game of gambling was dice. Thomas Cromwell, who was supposed to be very financially savvy and prudent, he lost about 50,000 pounds in current value on dice. And from 1529 to 1532, three short years, Henry is known to have lost about 1.5 million pounds in current value on dice. In three short years. In three short years. (laughs) He's gambling (laughs) away. And Catherine of Aragon,
1: you know, a major religious figure, and Mary Tudor, and we think of them as
0: pious and Catholic, and they were those things, but they loved to gamble. Mary considered gambling her second favorite thing after music. Yeah, apparently
1: Mary and Lady Margaret Douglas, the Countess of Lennox, who we talked about in other chapters, there's an account of them betting on a game of bowls they were playing, and Mary bet her breakfast and a frontlet, which is a part of a headdress, that she would win. But she didn't. So Margaret Douglas got a double breakfast that day. And a nice little hairpiece, too. (laughs) But it just goes to show you that even somebody like Mary Tudor was betting her frontlet and Constance is winning a piece of lace so these were things that people bartered with. Elizabeth and her ladies-in-waiting they love to play cards and Constance wouldn't have thought it was edgy. Reading sexy
0: poetry was edgy but gambling was not. When we leave Constance she's on her way back to court to get the piece of black work that she will use as a gift to get back into Henry Lee's house. As we've said many people thought that Henry Lee was Queen Elizabeth's favorite but For most people, the front-runner is, of course, Robert Dudley. But who else do you think is in the running? Tell us on our Tudor
1: Time Machine Facebook page. And if you have any questions about anything we've talked about today, send them our way on our Facebook page. We would love to hear from you. And why not buy me a coffee to help support the podcast?
0: No, buy me a coffee. (laughs) Buy us both a coffee. Anyway, type it in as one word, buymeacoffee.com. And then, tutor time machine into your favorite search engine, and you can find our support page.
1: Or the shop button on our tutor time machine Facebook
0: page will take you directly to our support page. We really appreciate your support. All our gratitude for listening. And join us next time for more tutor minded talk.